Welcome to Is This Scary? This is Phil. This is Shelby. This is Zach. And on this episode, Zach's really excited. <laughs> We're finally talking about my favorite. Um, so, Red this Eye, week, right? Get out. <laughs> um, Red Eye is a great movie, but no, we're not talking about Red Eye today. It's not half as good. So this week we're talking about Wes Craven's greatest movie ever. I don't care what any of y'all say. 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yay! Brings out one of Yay. the most famous horror movie killers ever, Freddy Krueger, who is a media icon in the 1980s. Kids loved Freddy Krueger, which is just wrong. <laughs> hey, Shelby, do you want to go get like coffee or tea or something while Zach, this is Zach, Zach swoons this up is, on this movie? It definitely is the Zach show. <laughs> just you, fine. You made sure to wear your white pants, I see. <laughs> hey. Hey. Um. So... This one's really interesting. We are not going to give you a movie synopsis for this. And, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie somehow, we're going to talk about all the details. Um, if you really want a good, in-depth movie review, go to YouTube and look for one. There are a hundred of them on YouTube. Yeah, this, this movie has been picked to death. I mean, you... You can find everything that you can about this movie. There's so many documentaries about this movie, oh, too, yeah. and this franchise in general. So you can find it. I mean, there are literal, like, college thesis papers on horror movies and stuff. So if you, even if you want to, you could get, like, high concept, pick it all the way apart papers on this. So if you just want three movie fans' opinions on this, mm -hmm. stay tuned. Um, so the genesis for this movie is really interesting because it's either like 78 or 79, Wes Craven had the initial draft for this movie. Mm -hmm. And he spends five or six years shopping it around while he continues to work and make other movies. But he even goes to Sean S. Cunningham, who if you listen to the last episode he did Last House on the Left with and Cunningham looks at it and goes script didn't have any legs man it's not going to do it you're not going to make any money it, it, it's a weird concept no one's going to get it your movie's going to flop until he talks to Bob Shea of New Line Cinema <laughs> Bob. this Bob who's was just super enthusiastic about everything he did, especially the early years on New Line. Bob Shea kept New Line Cinema alive. Um, and at this point, even, this is the first time that New Line Cinema... Be be this is the first time that New Line Cinema became a production company. Because before that, Bob was just distributing foreign horror movies. To the point that every now and then he would grab the actual cans of film and drive them to theaters himself. <laughs> because he didn't have the money to hire a courier. No. <laughs> yeah, again, just like Last House, 
there was very little money going into this movie. Just like nobody had anything. <laughs> so literally, I think Wes Craven went and begged and borrowed. Everyone at New Line went and begged and borrowed, and they scraped together. It was like one point one to one point two million dollars. Mm-hmm. And if this movie didn't work out, everybody's going bankrupt. Yep. Like this was literally. This is the last movie they would have gotten to make if it didn't work out. Yeah. And don't <laughs> worry, it only made a small fifty-seven million. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 57 times what they spent. Yeah. Right. And that fact alone is why they called... Is New Line even still operating? Because I know they had, they had money troubles late into their run. New Line Cinema... No, it went defunct in 2008. Yeah. But while they operated... It was called the house that Freddy built. Yeah. Because it was. Without Freddy Krueger, New Line Cinema would have been Bob Shea scraping along until he killed himself from overwork. Yeah. But, um... So, like we said, he shopped this movie around for five or six years. It came across Shea's desk because eventually Wes just printed out as many copies of the script as he could afford and just started throwing it in the mail to everybody in Hollywood. He didn't He didn't care. If you were connected to the film industry, he sent you a copy of his script. And Bob was somehow the only person that bit. Yeah. And because of the shoestring budget, they had to get super creative. And that's when the magic happens. Every single time you read that in a movie, it's... Well, we couldn't afford to do it right, so we did it how we could do it. Mm-hmm. It almost always looks better than quote-unquote doing it right. And I love that about m- movies, because that's the magic of movies. It's like, okay, this shouldn't have worked, and that's why it's almost perfect. Yep. Right. So, real quick, just for uh, more, clarif- more clarification, New Line Cinema shut down in uh, 2008. In 2013, it was bought... By, uh, and reopened by Warner Bros. Okay. Okay, so New Line Cinema shut down in 2008. That's where I'm going to go from because up to that point, it was an independent movie studio. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's is, the end of it being an independent. Which studio. is wild because right at the end of that, they put out the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, there, there were three years, uh, a few years in between, but yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, that's wild to me. It's one of the last big things that they did. But anyway, um, so Wes Craven initially wrote this script after reading a series of articles about young men, I think. Was it? It was definitely in like Indonesia. Or, or like Vietnam. Yeah. Or somewhere. Or like Thailand or something. But so... Families were moving from war-torn areas of the world over to the U.S. And there was a series of articles written about young men that used to live in concentration camps. And they were having such intense nightmares that they were afraid to go to sleep. And 
there are at least three documented cases where these young guys would stay awake and they'd stay awake and they'd stay awake. One of the one that really stood out to Craven was this one kid stayed up for three days straight and during that entire time his parents were feeding him sleeping pills. He was spitting them out and taking caffeine pills and chugging coffee and then finally whenever he couldn't stay awake any longer he went to sleep and he was dead within five minutes of falling asleep. I have a quick theory on that. Because uh, so I I have suffered in the past from uh, sleep ap- not sleep apnea uh, insomnia not insomnia um, it's when your brain wakes up but your body still sleep sleep paralysis yeah sleep paralysis there's documented uh, documented in the past people can die of sleep paralysis they I don't remember all the ins and outs of it it's probably a form but, of like you stop breathing well yeah there's there's that I. I don't remember the uh, ins and outs of it, but there has been documented cases of people going into sleep paralysis and then dying. Mm. That's actually where the concept of, uh, for those who like creepypastas, the rake comes from. Mm. A lot of that is sleep paralysis. I wonder if sleep paralysis, because sleep paralysis either hits, it either hits you right when you fall asleep or right, right when you wake, wake up. up yeah. okay. I wonder if that, I wonder if that's what, like, that may be connected, but what's really interesting about the cases that he was talking about is it was all guys in either their late teens to early 20s from the same part of the world that this happened to. Mm. And it's because they lived through such, it's theorized, they lived through such intense, terrible things, and their nightmares were so vivid, mm-hmm. they were afraid to go to sleep because they knew what they were going to see when they closed their eyes. Yeah. That's fair. See, I was just thinking that like them going through that ho- those horrible things helped trigger, like yeah, gave them the nightmares, which then made them want to stay up, which then helped trigger the sleep paralysis. Yeah, it could be all all all, all, all same very time. real things. Yeah, yeah, maybe, but it is what it is. And then Wes mixed that concept with a very vivid memory something that terrified him mm. from his childhood he was it was Ohio right yeah I think he, yeah when he was a child Cleveland. in Cleveland and it was some like drunk drunk hobo yeah he saw some old creepy man in a dirty striped sweater and a fedora walking down the street and as soon as the old man realized that young Wes Craven noticed him he stared at him and Wes said he hid, he got out of view from the window and then when he went and looked back at the window the old man had gotten as close to his window as he could and he had just he was disfigured He was just life on the streets had been really rough for this guy and it made him look terrifying and once the old guy realized that he got the kid for the second time he just gave this like he said this low chuckle and he just walked off and that just stuck with Wes so that's where Freddy Krueger came from it was mm-hmm. this old man that took delight in cr- scaring a child yep 
That's how we got Freddy. That's how we got Freddy. And then I love the casting story for Freddy Krueger. Because Wes Craven kept... He's like, okay, I have to get the right person. So I'm going to look for actors who are actual burn victims. That's an incredibly small pool and it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, uh, let's, let's try that. Mm, nope. nope. Okay. Old men. Yep. But there's a show called V Out. Yeah. And that's where we got Robert England. <laughs> and so instead he, yeah, he goes, okay, I like this guy's charisma. We can just cover him in makeup. And Wes said, I'm really glad that we went with Robert England because he's classically trained. Mm-hmm. He knows how to move. Mm-hmm. He understood the psychology of Freddy from the first day. Mm-hmm. We put the makeup on him. And he literally, he's like, without Bob England, I wouldn't have, that series would have failed. Right. Because Robert England is Freddy Krueger. Yeah. That, and I think that's been the problem and why we haven't even seen a real attempt to do the reboots after yeah. the Jackie Earl Haley thing. Yeah. Sad, sadness. Just sadness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because Robert England is too old. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. And it's not a problem. And, yeah, it's it's, it's, a sad, it's a sad subject. But he went into this knowing what he understood the character, even though he, the people that actually, like, did the audition with Robert, like, Robert came in prepared. He, like, manipulated his look. Like, he, he made sure that he looked super pale and almost like grungy and mm-hmm. stuff like he wanted to he wanted to unnerve people and that's what he did he unnerved people by looking i think he even said he's like i just didn't blink for a very long time while I was while he was making eye contact and that's what they remember and that's that's the whole point when you look at freddy cuz he doesn't say much in the first film Obviously, in the later films, he becomes very, very talkative. He is one of the only... Think about it. He is the only one of the main three, and even four, if we put uh, Leatherface in there, who actually talks. Oh, yeah. Out of, out of the slasher killers, yeah. Freddy has a personality. Yeah. Yeah. They all have their personal histories, mm-hmm. but Freddy is a more interesting character. Mm-hmm. Michael is too traumatized and barely human enough to be all that interesting. Jason is a zombie sometimes, and his backstory is wildly inconsistent depending on who decided Mm -hmm. to write that particular entry in the movie. Uh, Bubba slash Leatherface also... more about the family than him. In but f- that also swings wildly, depending on which Swinging. timeline we're in. No pun intended. <laughs> Sorry. You're but, right, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, th- out of all four of them, the least consistently written is Leatherface. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be no, mean, yeah. I'm trying to be critical. I mean, yeah, yeah the, fam- the family's name changes. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, Freddy and... I feel like the other three are driven maybe more on instinct. Mm-hmm. Freddy does this because he's literally evil. Yeah. He enjoys killing children. He enjoys 
scaring them to death. Mm-hmm. It's this is a demented, evil character that is getting his rocks off doing what he's doing. Yeah. And it's... I think the best part about especially this first movie is Wes Craven doesn't shy away from showing that. It's, no, this guy is psychologically breaking these children and he's having a great time doing it because this is a different Freddy Krueger. Yeah. He's... You can tell that he's enjoying himself. He's having fun. Oh, yeah. But he's not cracking jokes. No. He's mean. Yeah, he's... And sneaky. And just... He's nasty yeah, about it. Yeah, there's also, like, this This is very, like, gross. Oh, he's Some of the dirty. Th- he's, yeah, he's, he's definitely, like... Like, obviously, mm-hmm. in later films, it's also oriented that he's also a child molester. Trigger warning on that one. That kinda, really only gets brought in in the reboot. Yeah. I, they kind of alluded to Freddy's dead a little bit. Um, and also they kind of alluded to in Freddy vs. Jason as well. But again, you could almost argue that those are kind of like not even canon, really. Even though, yes, it does have Robert Anglin in it, but you can kind of argue with that. But going back to what you said, he is enjoying himself. He is getting his rock off, rocks off. And it's reminding me of the, the scene with Tina. And he's like, watch this. And he cuts his fingers off. And he's laughing. He's smiling. Like, did you see it? Did you see what I did? And it's just like, what? <laughs> right. Theory. Do you think Robert England? No, not Robert England. Freddie is just a, uh, like, the little kid meme, where it's like, oh, yeah, if you don't, rec- if you don't, uh, re- like, think about it or recognize it, it just goes away. See what I did? See? Yeah, it's great. Good job, <laughs> bud. I mean, if Freddy does have that element of a bully that never grew up, too. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because he's just cruel for being, for the sake of being so. Yeah. There's no reason, because even as his backstory is fleshed out more in the further, it's, in the further uh, installments, it, this is just the way he is. Yeah. He's gross. He is, he's warping your world. He's taking things, whether it be people animals or objects and he is twisting them to what he wants his own fantasy it's his world you're in his domain well yeah he's the dream demon so yeah as soon as you're as soon as you fall asleep he has complete control and that that's one of the cool things about this film is it's like can you tell when the dream has started. There are indicators. Yes. And I like it because if you pay attention to the scenes, once stuff starts getting weird, like the random goat that runs across the hallway in that one scene, yeah. <laughs> or when you start seeing a bunch of leaves inside of the school, yeah, it's just there are those little indicators. Mm-hmm. And Wes did that on purpose Yeah. because it was just, okay, send in the goat. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's... 
I'm gonna have these weird moments happen, and you're not gonna be sure what's going on. Yeah, and just also that simple scene when Nancy, our main protagonist, played by Leather Heather Landenkamp, is falling asleep in English class, and one of her teacher or one of her students is reading, I think, Shakespeare. He's reading, mm -hmm. I think, uh, Julius Caesar. And he's talking normally, like really bored, monotone, whatever, and then it cuts to her, and then it cuts back to him, and he's whispering all menacely. And it's like, oh, it started. So it's just those subtle hints yeah. that's like, oh, we're in the dream world. And yeah, so this was, was this Heather Langenkamp's first movie? I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. And it was Johnny Depp's first movie, too. It was. It was. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and Johnny Depp was just a musician before this. He answered the casting call. Yeah. There I'm was, pretty sure he... He was also broke. Yeah. Like, I'm, he did this out of desperation. Yeah. And he was push, pushed into this due to his good buddy, Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, was just, I couldn't remember who exactly it was. I couldn't remember if it was Robert Downey Jr. or Nicolas Cage that kind of pushed him in to do this movie. He's like, just do it. And he did. And Johnny Depp Open the door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but what I thought was really funny... Oh, because I listened to the uh, commentary, and it was... It was a cinematographer. Was it Jacques... Haken, I think. Okay. I don't know how to say his name. It's French. Okay. It's not my fault. But his girls were on set one day during the casting stuff, and Wes asked them who they thought it was should be Glenn, and did they said Johnny Depp. So even back then, you know, he had that something. He had a spark to him. Yeah. Which I, I found that really interesting. And then, uh, John Saxon. Woo! He's back. Coming back. Playing another cop. Yep. Black <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. And a worser cop. No, it's not even no, that. He's a, a better cop. He's a better cop, but he's a bad He's a bad, bad dad. dad. <laughs> he's a terrible he's a father. father. He's not a bad cop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a bad dad in the, in this one, but yep, great cop. Well, and if, talking about bad parents, Ronnie Blakely is. Oh yeah. Marge Thompson, mm. who boy, worst parent ever. <laughs> I I I made the house safe, and then I was so stressed out, I drank a bottle of vodka. I'm gonna go to sleep now. Bye. I don't <laughs> have the key on me. See. Night. Where's the key, mother? <laughs> oh, if we're talking lines, though, the line out of this movie is when Nancy is talking to Glenn, and it's the, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. <laughs> so Glenn promptly falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no boyfriend now, Nancy. No, no, no. Oh, the tongue phone. Yeah, the tongue phone. I guess the, uh, the, the practical effects in this yeah. movie are so good. And again, he was the practical effects guy. Was he knew going into this? Can you do it for forty grand? Well, I'm gonna have to, because he was just <laughs> like, okay. I mean, he 
And the idea that he got for the makeup was pizza, pepperoni pizza. Yeah, he. And I can see it. It what? Yeah, he said he uh, ordered a pizza one time, and after he took it from the, he dropped it. Mm-hmm. So, F- Freddy is a dropped pepperoni pizza. That that's what yep. his face looks like. Yep. <laughs> I mean, in the first film, which is one thing that I love about the first film is. Freddy is so different in this because of the darkness. This he, movie is real dark. Really dark. You don't see much of Freddy's face. It works better that and way. It's, it's so better that way. I mean, you see a little bit more. There's subtle changes to his makeup in the second one, and obviously then in three, which Dream Warriors is my favorite. Oh. I mean, the music is great. But it is that that next stage for him but it's like okay it's I'm in the spotlight now oh yeah and he's cracking jokes and calling people that Mm -hmm. iconic b word that we're not gonna say yep Mm. and he loves that word (laughs) it's his favorite (laughs) um and it's it but the darkness and just it's Again, I mean, think about it. I'm like, if you have vivid dreams like I do, and a majority of, if you do remember your dreams, because sometimes they're very rare to uh, remember them, a lot of times, it's dark. You can't see people's faces. You're like, I think I know who this person is, but at the same time, I can't see features, so I don't know. So it, again, works. Mm -hmm. It's, your imagination is going to mess with you. I guess this is a good segue into what is everybody's favorite scene in this movie. So talking about the uh, budget for the practical effects, <laughs> my favorite scene was a uh, one and done because they didn't have the money to do it again. <laughs> nope. The uh, Johnny Depp's character, Glenn, his... The blender bed. Yeah. Yeah, him being pulled into the bed and then just a whole... A uh, volcano of blood, a hurricane of blood, mm-hmm. just so good, so much, and the fact that they they did it all upside down yeah. to make it work and everything. It just shock, yes, shock and Wes were strapped to the ceiling because they 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 were both in rigs mm-hmm. behind the camera mm-hmm. and they rotated with the room so they could see the scene how you needed to see the scene and Wes Craven and Jacques hung out hung upside down for like half an hour while they did that scene yeah that's and, safe yeah. yeah and on top of that because there was so much electricity going on right now well, and was, so much blood yeah i yeah. mean <laughs> it's literally pouring on the headlight which would and it's just like and it was, I forget how many guys, it was either two or three guys, but the actual men that dumped the blood all got shocked. Yeah. <laughs> Some, somebody almost died on set. And it's oh, just... Oh, so fun. Yeah, and all for the lulls. Yeah. It will all work out, guys. And it did. And I mean, it, it, it looks great. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, you don't... So good. You don't notice that the un, until the very last... Because it's cut in a couple different shots. And a couple different shots and that last shot where you see the blood start trickling out and you see the little uh, it moves sideways it moves sideways and it's mm. like ah uh, yeah but again if you're not looking for it 
you're got you're not gonna notice it. But it for me it works better. It makes it more dreamlike because it shouldn't move that way. Exactly. It, but it moves that way mm-hmm. because they broke the rig because they dumped too much liquid. They yeah. dumped too much liquid through the hole. Yeah. And it was was literally just... They didn't didn't dump enough liquid. Yeah. Now they're just on this huge, lazy Susan just spinning around. And it's just like, what can we do? We broke it. Keep going. (laughs) Keep rolling. What's your favorite? I'll I'll go and we'll leave you for... My favorite scene is Tina's final nightmare before she gets the axe. Or gets the razor fingers, as they the, say. Yeah, the razor. And yeah. it's her dream sequence. She goes out into the alleyway, and it's this classic 80s blue lighting that we saw in Nightmare. We saw this in we saw this in Halloween, and I love that blue lighting, because you think, blue lighting, oh, it's not that scary. And it, it is. And you just see Freddy standing there at the end of the hallway and you see his arm stretch out and then he chases her. And that, that again, I love how Robert does the movement for Freddy because it is, it's not just, oh, I'm going to run at you being all stiff like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be creeping. I'm, and it also shows like, again, the weight of the glove too, because it's heavy. Super heavy. I've been meaning to try to make one for myself, but um, yeah, that's too much time. Um, But and and then you have like then it it slows down because you got this suspense scene where he's chasing her, and then she gets tripped up, and then he teleports himself real quick behind a. Hey, I'm over here by this tree. And then he does the finger chop. Yep, the finger chop, and then it's her death with her. Well. But before that, he mm-hmm. does another trick on her. Mm-hmm. So she pulls him to the ground, and as they're wrestling, she grabs his face and just rips it off. And then they have the, and this is like the the one jokey moment that mm-hmm. he kind of has because then he just kind of is. So I mean, this was. I'm a magician. I'm going to show you all of my tricks. Right. And it it's fine because it works. Well, yeah, and I mean, think about it. If if this creepy guy wearing a razor glove starts chasing you and you accidentally slough his face off and his skeleton laughs at you. Yeah. Yeah. Even as an adult, that would be a terrible dream. Yeah. 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 So it's that and even though this is the beginning of the film, we're only probably about 15-20 minutes in. If that. And it's not like it's not like um, he's lost all of his marbles, or not not the correct word I'm trying to look for, but it's not like, oh, all of his tricks are used. No, that's just an appetizer of what we're going to be getting yeah. for the... Well, I don't know. An appetizer? Appetizers. <laughs> well, I don't know, because, and we, it's, and right after that we get our death, which is the first use of the rotating room, mm-hmm. because literally they, it looks really good, because she's... Having this fight with Freddy, and in the real world, her boyfriend just watches her get drug up the wall onto the ceiling. And to do that, they literally just nailed and glued everything down mm-hmm. and flipped and just flipped the room because they didn't know how else we, we can't afford to do this any other way. Yep. 
put a whole bunch of blood on her and just let her crawl across the ce ceiling while um, Rod is just yelling, Tina, 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 and then she just collapses on, on the bed and just flops right over blood everywhere. And it's just like oh. silence. It's just It's just like, what the heck just happened? Yeah, they said that uh, they had Nick Corey, the guy that played Rod, they, like, slathered his hair to his scalp so it wouldn't be obvious that he was hung upside down. Because they, they even hung him upside down while they mm -hmm. rotated the room. Yeah. So, Zach, let me guess your favorite scene, all right? I think I know what it is. All right? Is it the ending that they forced him to change? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was going to say, I, I'm, since y'all took some really good ones, I'm just going to go for the other really iconic scene. I love the bathtub scene. Yes. It's fantastic. Yep. Because it's that there's some leftover of like the sexuality and stuff from Last House on the Left is in there. Cause, mm -hmm. And this is kind of where you could get Freddie being, mm -hmm. you know. Perverty. Perverty, yeah. Because yeah, he's, his hand comes up between her legs and he's reaching for, you know. Yeah. It's obvious. Yeah. This is also the only time where you see boobs. <laughs> the whole movie. Side boob. Yeah. <laughs> Underwater <laughs> boob. Yeah. Um, and they aren't even, that's not even Heather Langenkamp. <laughs> you, that's, I didn't no. even know that. <laughs> um. So that scene was really interesting. So the Thompson House interior scenes were some of the only stage shots done because they couldn't afford a lot of, yeah, you know, actual soundstage work. But it was a two-story stage, and so the bathtub is really just a cutout that looks like a bathtub with a two-by-four down the middle, mm -hmm. and... During the uh, commentary I was watching last night, Heather Langenkamp said, yeah, I got to balance on the two-by-four, and then I had to wedge my feet into the end of the bathtub so I wouldn't just drop straight through the middle. Right. <laughs> so she's over here doing this balancing act, pretending to be asleep, yeah. while some guy's being all... Yeah. While some stunt guy's being all creepy with the glove. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that was, he, that was not that was not fun either. Because he's like, I'm just most in the most awkward situation. And it was literally just a quick scene. That's all it was. Yeah. Right. Was just... Because the underwater scene was done later. Yeah. That was done in a pool. Mm-hmm. And like I said, some of these shots look amazing. So what they did was... They measured the bathtub, mm -hmm. and they went to a pool, and they threw out just like a big black tarp, and they cut out a hole for the bathtub, and they just dropped the actress in and had her swim back up towards yeah. it. Yeah. And it looks effective. It looks great. It, and that's that dream thing. It's like, but it's not a clean transition. Like, why is it so what? Because it's a dream. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a one for one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, we might as well talk about another that was done because this is how they could figure out how to do it. Um, the Freddy coming out of the wall scene yeah. is 
so cool. And they did it for nothing. Because mm-hmm. what you get is after Tina is a... Tina has a bad nightmare and... Has a sleepover. They have the sleepover and the... Uh, Nancy's in the guest room and she's sleeping and the crucifix over the bed gets knocked off the wall. Mm-hmm. So Nancy looks at it and just puts it next to her and goes back to sleep. She ignores it. And then Freddy leans through the wall and you see the perfect outline of him and the glove and everything and it just it looks so cool and again all they did was have a stunt guy lean through a piece of latex Mm -hmm. stretched tight around a wooden frame and they said yeah we were trying to figure out how to get that scene done and we described the scene to the prop guy and he had an epiphany moment he says I'll be right back. It's like, what do you need? He's like, give me the cash you can afford to give me. And they gave him, it's like, three or four hundred dollars. And he runs to the hardware store, buys the wood for the frame and the latex sheet, and builds the frame the day they shoot that scene. <laughs> like, you know, this, this movie is being made on ingenuity and hopes and dreams. Yeah. Honestly, that probably is uh, <laughs> one of the leading reasons why it's so good. Right. Is uh, I, when it comes to this kind of stuff, my brain always goes back to a, uh, a quote from Zach Wilde talking about Led Zeppelin and the albums they made and would it be as good if they had modern techniques and modern equipment and the the standards you see now mm-hmm. and his answer is no they would be awful because the limitations that they that they had forced creativity yeah right. and i think this this is a good example of it the yeah. limitations the lack of money forced them to be creative in ways that just broke through just broke through new barriers right and then so we can go ahead and talk about the ending. So, <laughs> Wes Craven wrote this, and the ending doesn't actually make sense. Yeah. Because you have that iconic ending where Nancy stares Freddie down, tells her that she's not afraid of him, she's taking back all his power. She basically makes him impotent. And she just shuts him down, and she turns her back on him, and he tries to lunge, and he dissolves. Mm -hmm. Because he has no power left in her dream, and it destroys him. Yep. And then she walks outside into the sunshine, and she has a nice moment with her mom. Mm -hmm. Who's now alive. Who's now alive. And... That is actually where Wes Craven's script ends. You get a nice moment. Nancy's mom isn't actually dead. That was supposed to be the end of the movie. That's where Wes wanted to wrap it. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) Bob Shea refused to let the movie go out without a sequel hook. Mm. He's like, no, I have a feeling. Because again, 
this goes back to Bob Shea was the only person on the planet that had faith in this movie besides Wes. And he's like, I have so much faith in this movie. We're going to be able to make another one. You have to leave me an opening. Because the way that you end this movie, Freddy's dead. That doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And so... They could have ended this movie. Take out Blow Up Doll Mom. I didn't, you didn't even let me get there. I'm sorry, but... You could... The main part I like about the ending, though, is the girls. The Hopscotch girls. Well, that's cool and all. Okay, but anyway, so Nancy, her friends pull up in a red convertible, and Glenn, Rod, and Tina are fine. Mm -hmm. And so Nancy goes and runs and jumps next to Glenn in the front seat, and then the green striped top of the convertible closes, and Freddy starts laughing. The Freddy Mobile. The Freddy Mobile (laughs) happens, and he starts laughing, and everybody screams, and they drive off. And then, yeah... Freddy's arm comes through the little window in the front door and mom gets whipped through the window and it is an obvious blow-up doll. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's the it's my least favorite part of the movie because like Phil alluded to earlier, yeah, it's not. You have to tack this on here. You can't kill Freddy. <sighs> Come on. Come on. It was so bad. Yeah, no, there, there were ways that could have worked. Yeah. It could have worked. They could have just, I mean, you kept the car, keep the car, keep the girls in, and maybe have something with maybe when she opens the door, his laugh. You should take out, you take out, you take out the mom. It'd be better without that, yeah. Because yeah. if you take out the you mom. You can take mom, but you, you'd have to remove mom completely from the scene. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm imply that the mom is dead. Actually dead, yeah. yeah. Have Nancy walk out and give her this sigh of relief like she's just survived the worst of it. And then the car scene happens and it shows that, oh, gotcha. I think that would be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I don't understand it because it all happens so quickly with the is she defeats him and then he's instantly back. There is... Her, that makes sense. Her victory is snatched away from her so fast. What's the point to give it to her in the first place? Right. Just, I, kill, yeah. just have Freddy stab her in the back if you feel the need for an unhappy ending. But that's not what Wes wanted in the first place because mm-hmm. he stated more than once that this was supposed to be a one-and-done movie. Yeah. Bob, him and Bob Shea went at each other like cats and dogs over the ending. I mean, even when they were presenting the movie to Paramount, literally Bob Shea is biting his nails, talking to the uh, the editor, like, what ending did you put in? Oh, the ending with the car. And he's like, no, no, no. And literally they had to rush, but they could not get the ending in time because they actually had to cut the movie right at the climax of the film. And be like, oh, we're having technical issues. And then all the tension was lost. And they fixed the ending. And Paramount was like, no, we don't want this movie. Just because they couldn't get the ending in a time. So what ending were they shooting for? They were shooting for... Wes wants to go with the car. He's like, just end it with the car. 
with, put the girls in there, that's fine, but end it with just the car driving away. Don't end it with mom. Okay, yeah. Shay wanted mom. He's like, I want mom to be pulled through that window. Okay, well, I like Phil's... If we're going to do that, then I would just go for what Phil was advocating, is run the scene the way it was, but just... Mom's not in it at all. Yeah. That actually works better. Mm. But I heard that one of the versions that was definitely pitched and would have been shot because it's shorter, mm-hmm. just have Nancy walk outside and the the hopscotch girls are in the back. Yeah. Or the jump rope girls are in the back and that's yeah. it. That's the whole ending. She yeah. just walks out into the sunshine and the movie ends. Yeah, the hopscotch girls are very interesting because if you don't pay attention, they're kind of just they're they're kind of random. But then, yeah, or jump rope, yeah, uh, they are very random. But if you pay attention to the beginning of the bathtub scene with Nancy, she's singing the one to Freddie's coming from you. So you, if you don't catch that, it's very random who those people are. And Whoa. I mean, it also it's brought up a little bit. In the beginning of the film, when uh, Tina says, like, all I keep on hearing is that hopscotch song or that jump rope song. But the volume is so low at that point because the music is so loud. Well, but you, you also can't get hear the, it. At the front, you get the pan shot. Yeah. Because they do the. And this was fun because this is like early computer assisted stuff, mm-hmm. which was something at that point that you like clipped onto the front of the camera. And it would allow you to change color saturation and sharpness and softness of the focus in a tracking shot without having to edit it afterwards. Right. Which is not just built into film cameras, but back then was high-tech and fancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you get that from... Because we go from Tina's nightmare into reality all in one smooth shot. Right. And that's where you see the jump rope girls... Mm-hmm. At first, because you get the jump rope girls, mm-hmm. and the color saturation is off, it doesn't look right, the yeah. focus is pretty soft, and as you pan over, you get to that line of trees, and like as you go through the line of trees, brightness comes back to what mm-hmm. the world actually looks like, and the focus sharpens up, and right. everything looks right. Yeah, because then Tina starts talking, she's talking with Nancy, yeah. she's talking to Glenn, and it's like, okay, we're, we're back in reality now. So it's just like, okay, got it. But it's that sort of cinematography. Sorry, we're just going to switch gears now. We're done talking about the ending. Now we're going to talk about technical stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But it's stuff like that. Because outside of their shoestring budget, these were still craftsmen. They cared about what they were making. Yeah. And they wanted to make it look right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody was hands on deck with with this film. I mean, they were going, again off of like almost no budget to the point where they were losing money on multiple different reasons on multiple different occasions because people were either just taking money and run running from the uh running from the police or they were just i mean it it was they were wasting money on stupid props or they were just being smart i'm gonna go ahead and put a prop together just go to lowe's go to home depot non-spons and go um, go make a prop real quick and not even spend any money. So it's just like, okay. Um, but yeah, they they were all, even Wes was like, hey, I, Sean Cunningham, can you, can you, can I borrow you for some of the camera work sometimes? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And I'll, I'll do, 
a couple shots for you. And that's that's really what it was, because they were going from, like, two different locations. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, outside of that, I guess we can... We talked influence a little bit, but we can talk that talk about that more, mm-hmm. because as the series progresses, and we will probably will talk about some of the other ones later. Yeah. But haven't we already done three? Uh, no, we, no, watched, we watched. We just it, watched but, it, yeah, but okay. we didn't talk about any other uh, other of the Freddy films. Okay, but as the film progresses, the Freddy character eventually evolves into yeah. the version that everybody remembers, mm-hmm. which is he's still extremely deadly, but he's throwing in all the bad jokes, and he's more slapsticky. Yeah. Which is fine. It's just, I wish that more of the menace would have stayed in the character as that happened. Yeah. I mean, we, in going into, like, Nightmare 2, I mean, the darkness is still there. He's morphing at this point. Like, his... Well, he looks... More like a demon. Yes, I mean he's got his like almost like a witch nose at this point, like a witch chin. He's got slightly pointy ears. Oh yeah, and the and he they do that a little bit in Freddy versus Jason too. There's like that one moment where he hops out of the out of Camp Crystal Lake and he's really because he's even got a demon teeth on and he's really like hardcore, like he's almost literally like blood red. And I like I that was like stick with that makeup. I like that because the shot was all dark. Keep Freddy in the dark. That's like my key thing with him. It's like I don't want to see him. I like his just seeing his silhouette. Well, that's because it's hard to do burn makeup. I am. And make it look good, which is why he had the fantasy burn makeup all through the original run. Mm -hmm. Because as we saw in the 2010, when you do realistic burn makeup, he just looks like a burn victim. Yeah. He doesn't. It's still unsettling, mm-hmm. but it's unsettling for the wrong reasons because people actually end up looking like that, and that could potentially put a stigma on burn victims, which is not anything you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, because you, yeah, you don't want that stigma on it, and yeah. But I, I yeah, as we see the morph of how he changes obviously there are some hits in the sequels and then there's some misses um but his character as an all it does morph but he in a way just he still i mean he still remains that icon even to this day oh see yeah i was gonna say like as a talking about influence and things of that nature i find it I find it interesting when you look at, uh, even in modern day, he shows up, whether it's satire or something of that nature, and where a lot of people nowadays probably don't even know that what they're, that's him or, uh, or anything. Look at Rick and Morty. Scary Terry. Yeah, Scary Terry. Yeah, it, it that's a, that is a satire of Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. And it's barely a satire, because they... <laughs> Changed him just enough to be legally distinct. Right. Yeah, he's wearing a blue sweater. <laughs> yes, and he has daggers li- for hands yes. for fingers. Yeah, he has dagger yeah. fingers. Yeah, but yeah, like st- that shows the the influence into that he's had as a character into well, in society. It's everywhere. I, I don't remember if I said it earlier in this episode, but I know I've said it before. 
once you got, especially into like the late 80s to early 90s, Robert England was on daytime talk shows in his full makeup. Mm-hmm. Like... And they pay homage to that in New Nightmare. They do. Yeah. It's like literally he's high-fiving children. And like, that was the thing. Yeah, he was just... popular with all ages. He'd be like, he wants to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> he wants You're to. His, you are his target. That's you, Freddy you kills all... kids. <laughs> you are all my children now. And it's like, yay, oh. dad, Fred. <laughs> is, that, is that the equivalent of modern-day women uh, watching... Endless amounts of serial killer. Pretty much. I mean, it's it's like you are not supposed to like him, but yet you still do it anyway. People that have crushes on like uh, like, Ted Bundy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, oh my gosh, Jeffrey Dahmer's so hot. And it's like, stop. (laughs) He'd eat you. Yeah, he'd eat you. As long as you didn't have tattoos, you were fine. Um, But Kill the rabbit. (laughs) It was interesting because there were action figures, lunch boxes, just all sorts of merch aimed at kids mm-hmm. because it was popular. Yeah. And it's it's weird because that didn't happen with Michael or Jason. No. And it wasn't going to happen with Leatherface. That, he wasn't, <laughs> never been mainstream enough for right. that. No, absolutely not. I Although can... I can see it now. The chainsaw-shaped lunchbox. I think the only other person that I can see that's like, I, but it's more now, modern mainstream, is Ghostface. Is now becoming the big thing now. Or, uh, oh, was it? Uh, Art the Clown. Art the Clown. I, Art I was clown. trying to say it, and I was like, that's the wrong clown. But Art I mean, the Clown is there's now. There's a lot of Pennywise merch, though. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot. Pennywise, yeah, when, when mm. it was remade, that became... Huge, especially like on social media, every single makeup influencer was doing the it makeup. It was huge. Mm-hmm. But mean, yeah, you're right. It's it's interesting how things have certain lifespans. Yeah. Because I don't know if we'll ever have an, a horror icon do such a mainstream merge. Because like there were, there was just everything, and while. Pennywise and Art have both been very popular. Like, there haven't been like mainstream toys for them. No, absolutely not. I mean, the only other thing, and the only other one that I could think of, and it would be stretching the definition of horror, would be uh, Alien. Yeah. The first Alien is a horror movie. I I don't disagree, but that's why I said it would be stretching. Because mm-hmm. there is multiple horror, there's multiple alien movies. Right. There's at least two. I feel there like are two good ones, and only there are at one least of, two. And only one of those is a horror movie. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember somebody. Yeah, my favorite horror movie is Aliens. Be like, then you didn't watch Aliens because yeah. that's not scary. If I find it, if there's any other merch that I feel like I see at like Walmart and Target in like the little like action figure aisle, it's Jason. As well, because you got to think multiple different Jasons. They all look different. I'm like, how many times have you gone into Five Below, and you find that stupid like egg shaped Jason face ma- uh, magnet? Mm. It's everywhere. <laughs> it is. Um, but things are different because Target has that collector 
yeah. corner now. Yeah. Yeah. But those are NECA figures, yeah. and that's different because NECA makes they they're kind of sort of action figures, but mm-hmm. it's more of a posable sculpture. Yeah. Because those are highly detailed. And they're not for children. It's mainly what people, I feel like, use them for is photographers. They take them and they pose them and make, like, backgrounds for them and do, like, these, like, almost reenactment of scenes or make their own scenes. Like, stop, stop motion it? Yeah, or mm-hmm. it just simple photographs. Yeah. yeah. See, most of the time when I think of those things, I think of the people that are going to scream at you if you uh, take, take it, it out of the box. Take it out of the box. That's who a lot of that stuff is aimed at. Yeah. It's I understand. Because they're considered collector's items because NEC is the only company doing the horror movie stuff McFarlane toys used to do it but they don't really do it that much anymore Mm. there's a few that I've thought about buying but that's about it yeah but it's interesting and like any of your killers in movies that talk and have big personalities those are Freddy's real kids because right. that's his legacy was, nah, your killer can have a personality. He can really just psychologically mess with his victims. He doesn't just have to be either a mindless killer or... And he doesn't have to be big no. to be able to be an effective killer. Friday the 13th started out super unique, and then they immediately just shifted into a Halloween ripoff. Yeah. It's like, oh, teleportation. (laughs) Jathan is magic. We'll go from this mystery, this mystery on who's the killer, to Jason's the killer. (laughs) You mean the kid that was dead in the beginning of the first movie? Yep. (laughs) Hey, it makes sense if you don't think about it. (laughs) But... If anything, that means that that series uh, has more magic in it. It does. It has a lot of magic in it. Yeah. But. I I know that we've uh, talked about it in past episodes. I can't remember what episode we were mentioning it, but obviously the fans want it. Are we going to get another? Obviously, there's no way Robert Englund would do it. There's no way. He's done. He doesn't have the physicality anymore. Yes, he... Yeah, I, I know that I've seen, like, uh, bloody disgusting um, interviews with um, Blumhouse. He's like, well, if I can bring this person back for The Exorcist, I can bring... I can bring this guy back. I can bring Robert back. And it's like... I don't think you can. Robert's done. Like, he's, he's focusing on... Voice work. He, yeah, he wants he wants to do with his voice work, and it's like now he he doesn't want to do the physical physicality of it anymore. Um, I thought Jackie Earl Haley was fine, but now that we are thirteen years past that movie, mm-hmm. Haley's in his sixties. Yeah. So at this point, and it will come out because that is the nature of horror movies. Yeah. We have to recast. So who do you think would be a, a good recast? Unknown person. That's Unknown what I would three. say. Yeah. Um, you need to either that or do what they did before. Find somebody who's well-known only in the theater circles. 
that you know has chops. Right. And you just cover them in makeup. Yeah. Because that's what exactly what they yeah. did for Robert England. I'm like, if you want some, it really depends also what kind of Freddy we're talking about. Are we talking about the Freddy in one and two that doesn't really talk much, or are we talking about in the later series where he doesn't shut up? So it's like, is it going to be? I'd like a happy medium. So, yeah. Because the one-liners and stuff are now part of Freddy's mythos. Yes. The just the archetype of Freddy Krueger. Maybe like a three or a four, maybe. Well, three is my favorite Freddy because that's where the kills start getting really creative. Yes. So this doesn't fall into what you're you two think in it, but I think uh, Kyle Gallner could do an interesting job. Who's that? He plays in a handful of different movies. He's in. Uh, tw- uh, what was that Scream Six, Twenty Twenty Two? Okay. No, Scream, Scream Five. Five. He's in that. He plays in Smile. He pl- uh he plays in The Haunting in Hill House, Jennifer's Body. A lot of different movies. So he's apparently done- he was in A Nightmare on Elm Street, tw- uh, Twenty Thirteen. He played Twenty Ten. Sorry, he played Quentin Smith in that. I mean, so I just, just with how he acts in everything, I think it it could. Be a good fit. Okay. Again, it's the physical aspect. You need some like scraggly, tall, really thin guy. None of you doesn't even have to be tall. Robert it's... England wasn't tall. No, that I mean... actually worked. I, for for me, I feel that Freddie was more on the like slight side of muscularity, and he was average height. Mm-hmm. I think that's perfect. Yeah. So you need a guy that's like five ten max. Yeah. Ideal would actually be, I would say, from like. Five six to five six. Well, yeah. not. Let let me make it bigger. Like five four even. I would. I a shorter Freddy. I'd be fine. But like five four to five seven. Yeah. Or maybe, but somewhere in there, I think would be great. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. great. A shorter skin. Yeah, a shorter cool. skinnier guy. No, that would be. Yeah. Perfect. I give you. This is more of what he looks like now, but he's still a shorter, skinnier guy. He's not necessarily. He's filled out a little bit as yeah. he's gotten older, but. But. And- yeah, cover, he, but again, cover him in makeup. You won't notice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's literally, and it's not even. It, you just cover his face. That's all it is. I mean, because you got to think he's going to wear a sweater. So it's just yeah, like, gloves, and that, yeah. and that's the question: Do we change the sweater or no? Absolutely no. not. You oh, yeah. stick at this point, though. It would be the established sweater. I don't think we're going to get the solid red sleeves back, and I'm fine with that. You just do the all striped sweater. Mm-hmm. Give him the battered brown fedora. Dirty work pants and his boots. Because mm-hmm. that's Freddy's thing. Yep. Like, it's a super simple costume. And then you have to keep... What I liked about the first glove especially is it was it was already beat up. Because the thumb's gone, a big chunk of the palm mm-hmm. is missing. But yet, it was also razor sharp. And, and Robert, literally the first time he put it on, he was just like... Like, almost did, like, a finger flick, Matt, and he cut himself. He's like, ow. <laughs> but he was also that type of person where he couldn't stop touching things. So he he mentioned that a lot in the behind the scenes of, uh, of Freddy vs. Jason, where he would just touch things, and they would just break. Because it's like, Robert, stop touching things. <laughs> Can't help it. <laughs> but, I mean, he would always have fun with the glove anyway. So, yeah. And you keep... The glove you don't bring back is the new Nightmare glove. Yeah, I, I never liked that. The thumb blade's weird. That's a great movie, and I liked the 
evolution that they did that Freddy is just a evil force yeah. that has always existed. Just the current incarnation is Freddy Krueger. Yeah. That was a cool idea. And in that one, they took away the scars, and he just looked like a skinned person, which that would be... I'd be okay if you went that direction with yeah. the future makeup. Also, he was, like, jacked, too. Like, he was a thick boy. I was like, he, he Well, there was one, there was one where they had a different actor playing. Oh, yeah. Super I'm Freddy. Super Freddy. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> oh, I love that one. But, yeah, no, you just get it back to a skinny guy of about average height mm-hmm. and just give him the glove. Yeah. It's not rocket science, and I'm surprised that they screwed it up so bad. Do not give us that stupid, weird, convoluted story about micro-naps and the psychology of not sleeping. Yeah. You're you're overthinking it. This is a slasher movie. Just let it be a slasher movie. Yeah. Even in the original movie, when they take Nancy to the sleep therapy in in the dream clinic... They only just for quick seconds because the mom's like, what are dreams anyway? And he's like, to be honest, we actually don't really know. And that's why we're kind of here because we want to know more about dreams. So it's like just subtly in there and then kind of cut off. And even in, they really don't talk about them even in the later movies. Like They do in three. Yeah. They're, well, they they uh, the one psychologist or one doctor is like, well, dreams are um, figments of guilt. It's like your failures in reality, and they're, yeah. they're coming back to haunt you. Then and what about positive dreams? Exactly. Like, <laughs> but I'm happy I failed. Yeah. I don't know. I think you can go to the other side of what'll happen with the eventual reboot. Because that's where we have to go at this point. Yeah. Is Taken all of the previous canon, incorporate it into Freddy's story, but realize that you are starting from square one again because you have to start over. Well, I was gonna say, do you think do you think they're gonna go with like a requel kind of thing? I would hate that. What do you what do you do with that? You would have to have either that or Nancy becomes the next Freddy, mm. which would be awful. Right. But I always thought. Do a sequel to Nightmare Three. I mean, you got to think Kincaid. Uh, um, I think his name is Jesse. I think, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not Alice. Can't remember the other girl's name. But they all survived. Have it start right from there. Maybe they're older. They're their parents themselves. They have their own kids, and he's been brought back. I think that would be. We're too late. It is it's too, too it, late. That would have it would have been better if that happened in either in the early two thousands or maybe late nineties. Yeah, that would have been time. For the Freddy versus Jason time frame is when that movie right. would have worked. Yeah. At this point, I think we're just locked into a reboot mm-hmm. because otherwise they're doing what the new Chainsaw did, and that's just you recast everybody. And that didn't work. Right. So let's not do that. Um, and I wouldn't even have Heather in it. Don't even have Heather no, you, in it. Well, either that or she has a side role. Like, she's a she's a psychologist or a nurse or, a, or right. something. Mm-hmm. 
and that's fine because you can pay homage that way. Right. And like Robert Englund can, can show up and just chew on the scenery for a little while. That'd be fun. But right. I also hope they don't go the role of what they've been doing. Like, because if Freddie ends up being like Michael Fassbender, or who played Pennywise? Uh, Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, because yeah. he's all over the place in horror these days. Yeah. Like, if you take the guys that have become, like, known quantities currently in this genre that are already big names and faces, and you try to put them under the makeup, well, yeah, okay, except the problem with that is, it'd be like, all right, but now you have Magneto as Freddy, or now you have Pennywise as Freddy, because it'd be like, well... These guys have been attached to roles. You know who mm. they are. That's why I like the go with the talented unknown. Yeah. Even if so, it's, it's not even an American, just get somebody that care. can do the part. I mean, I've also said if since Robert is doing a lot of voice work, you can even do not just make it full on this is Freddie's voice, have it mix because you layer can it like they did layer with uh, Candyman. Yeah, yeah, you can, and the great thing about it is that is the key thing about Freddy is Freddy does not have just one voice. He'll have his natural raspy voice like this, and then he'll have his deep guttural like laugh voice, and then he will have like this almost like high pitch voice. He has such a mix. Well, he has range. Yeah, he's once you're in the dream, he's in control. Yeah, and don't. And even if you don't lock in a look, mm-hmm. you could Chain have four or five looks in the same yeah. movie because he's the dream demon. He can be whatever he wants. Yeah. So play into that. So I had this go through my head when you talked about like uh, paying homage in it. So Wes Craven shows up completely dressed as uh, Freddy in the first Scream movie, mm-hmm. paying homage to his previous work. What do you do if the new directors for the Scream movies, or one of one of the, what is it, two or three of uh, it's two directors and a, a producer makes the trio up. One of them shows up dressed up as Scream in uh, Ghostface. Ghostface in this movie. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. I think that kind of thing is fun. I think it, I think it would be interesting. I think it'd be fun. Do we keep the original house? Even though the house actually just went on the market, not like last year, so I think it's still... Buy it bit, back. Yeah, it's like, okay. Even though the, the house was just used as external. I mean, the interior of the house, other than maybe certain parts of the house, were was all set stage. So, mm-hmm. it's like... I don't... The house isn't as iconic in that one, not. I feel. It's not. It's not like the Myers house, which is right. literally on the same block. So, which is, is always nice because it's like, oh. <laughs> well, that's because that's that. That's the one neighborhood in California that doesn't look like it's in California. Yeah. So they always <laughs> use it for a Midwest stand-in. Yep. You gotta hide all the palm trees. Because then we don't have to be in the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. That terrible, terrible apologetic town area. Yeah. Middle America. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I. Where they drink bush lattes. Sorry. <laughs> it's also a who writes it. Because if it's like the writing team that did the new Halloween movies, I think they'd screw it up. Yeah. Because honestly, 
I think the I I can't remember that I have to look up the name the trio that did the new screams. I mean, it's already Wes Craven's work, or even and the people the, who did Hellraiser. Well, I was when you're mad at that. I was going through that one because they they specifically picked up the screams because their their response is the first scream movie is what made me love horror movies. That's what got me into them. Yeah, but the so. current generation of horror filmmaker, unless they love the classics, isn't going to have been directly inspired by the original Nightmare movies mm-hmm. these days. No, I get it, but that's what I'm saying. is that They're, they're already heavily inspired by Wes Craven. Yeah. yeah that's what I'm true. trying to get at. Yeah. And that's, and that's a hard, when we're talking about, like, what do we do with the pre... Uh, people who are hardcore fan, uh, like fans, they want it, but at the same time, they're scared. They do not, yeah, because I mean, I'm the same way. I think we're all the same way. It's like, we, yes, we want Freddy back because it's just been so quiet. But, and we've only gotten maybe just a little bit of like kind of teasers along the way, like because he, he's been teased in like video games and stuff like that. Well, like, no, he's shown up in Dead by yeah, he's Dead, in Dead by Day. Yeah, and he was also in More Combat X. And so it's just like, okay, but, or not, yeah, X. Um, but it's just like, we don't want it to be ruined, too. And then, I don't remember how many years ago now, but Robert England did a in-makeup cameo in yeah. the Goldbergs. Yeah. Because that's set in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, okay, here's one last time. Yeah. But that's all he'd be good for, unfortunately, is, okay, so we have, we frame up a shot right, and there he is. But he can't run around anymore. No. So real quick, the group that I was, the three yeah. that I was talking about, Chad, Matt, and Rob is what they're, uh, they work under. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things they've done, uh, VHS, uh, Southbound, Ready or Not. Yeah, they can do it, but I don't know. David, yeah. but I feel that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride have burnt their credibility in the horror community after Halloween ends. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's they, you just like how they would, how Wes was, in regards to passion projects. You need to find people that. This is a passion project. I'm like, you can see some of even the other the, the other franchises, the big three or big four. When people care about a project, they put a product out that's successful, mm-hmm. and that's what you would need for this. You can't have like a Last Jedi or something like that, the Rise of Skywalker or something like that. No, you need to have something like The Mandalorian. You need somebody yeah. who knows what they're talking about, knows what's canon, and knows what the people want. Like, recognizes what the community likes, what they don't like, what they need, and do they want to push it and go farther than what the franchise has done before. Right. On that note, you could do a super slow burn, like premium TV series with like Amazon or HBO, and you barely, and you feature Freddy more and more as the episodes go along. Like in the first episode, don't even give him a minute of screen time. Yeah. Maybe give a couple of flashes. Yeah. And then as we get deeper into the series, you see him more. That would, yeah. like, 
just even like the first couple of dreams like it could literally open where somebody just wakes up and you're just like drenching in sweat and then we slowly get integrated in the scene to the point where a lot of times just like how this franchise franchise does you don't know especially in the early parts of the franchise you don't know when they are asleep or when they are awake what is the dream world and what is reality and i think that would be great because it would be a slow burn and to the point where it's like wait a minute is this are they dreaming is this a good dream or is this a nightmare is they don't we don't know because it's happening so slow and it could be just a simple like the first time where we have freddie it could be just a simple of somebody's having a regular dream whatever and you really have to look at like the easter eggs that kind of like slipped in maybe even just like a music note of yeah because you have to use the original thing yeah yeah the music the i guess kind of segue into that uh, the the music is so unique in this in this film. I mean, you. It's so eighties. It's so eighties, and the music in itself was just. I mean, it was tension building. It came with the pace, especially when you have those climax, like the chase scenes with him and Nancy. It's it's got that speed to it. It's like, oh, something's going on right now. It's like, yep, but just like those subtle piano notes, mm-hmm. and you get that a lot in New Nightmare too. So where she's just, Nancy's walking into her house, and it's just that ding, 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 ding. Well, what I like about New Nightmare is you don't know when you're watching Nancy's life Mm -hmm. or when she gets pulled into the movie world. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's how he differentiated it and told a different version of the story, which is really cool. But anyway, yeah, with the... The music is iconic. Mm -hmm. Like, if you've ever... If you're into the Nightmare series, like you said, you hear that that hook mm-hmm. and be like, I know what's going on. Bad things are about to happen. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. Right. And yeah. it's not repetitive either. It's mm-hmm. not like the Halloween song where it's just... It's not repetitive. It is... And even just that song is not even like my favorite. It's when it's the chase scenes where it's like that boom. Boom, 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 and so it's like those parts I actually like in the Halloween franchise a lot better in comparison to the main theme. But then you have in this franchise where it's just like those high pitch notes, and it's just like where um, when Nancy's mother reveals the, the that she's got his glove, and it's just like that, almost like the doll drums. It, it's kind of just like oh. It kind of just got like you have those low notes like crap. So I love those scenes where it's just there's multi layers to yeah. the music. Um, I mean we'll probably um I know in the future I mean we've we've really talked nice. about um the other nightmare films, but and we'll we'll talk them later on. But since we've been doing this for two years now, it, it was time. We had to talk about one of our favorites. <laughs> we had to talk about one of the big uh, bug, big three, big four. But, yeah. Like I said, it's just Freddy... Once I got into horror movies, I got into them pretty young. Like, my dad loved The Exorcist. My dad loved old monster movies. Mm-hmm. He was always into horror. He had... I used to 
read all of his old horror novels and stuff. Like, he was into Brian Lumley and Clive Barker, Stephen King, all of that stuff. So, it's just, I grew up with horror stuff. Yeah. And from the first time, I don't remember which nightmare I saw first. It was either three or four. That's a good, that, that is a good question. Because I didn't see the first one first. I think I saw the first one first because I saw it on VHS. I saw the first one first. And but at the same time, I also feel like I might have saw three first because I loved Dawkins so much. I mean, I was raised even though I wasn't born in the eighties, I was raised on eighties music. So I was like, I love this song, Into the Fire. I love this song, Dream Warrior. And so I mean, like any kid back in the '90s, I mean, go we, Friday night. We went to Blockbuster. We went to Hollywood right. Videos. May they rest in peace. <laughs> uh, but bringing back, still around. There's I love. One. There's, one. there's one. I I, I miss them so much. It's like my favorite thing to do. But I mean, we would go and we would get a horror movie, and I feel like I'd go back and forth. But I'm pretty sure Nightmare One was the first one that I saw, and I just. I don't like it wasn't like it didn't hit me like terrifying when I when I watched it but at the same time I also didn't really know what I was watching and I distinctly remember watching it during the daytime so it doesn't hit you the same way. It doesn't way. hit right. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't hit you the same well, way. Well, I mean, it's a different it's a different kind of feel because it's a little and this isn't putting the other ones down. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's smarter than some of the other slasher movies because there's more to it. Yeah. It's a more involved process of how you get targeted. Yeah. Because you have to fall asleep and you... Although, one interesting thing that the first movie breaks the rules, mm-hmm. you have to know who he is for him to be able to target you. The first movie yeah. doesn't have that rule because it right. wasn't written yet. Yeah. And they really push that, that initiative in... Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like, he does not become a problem until somebody says his name. And it's like, oh, literally, I mean, the ma- our main protagonist, she's like, what is the name? What is the name? And she says, Freddy, and boom, she's in a nightmare. It's like, yeah. well, okay. But that's, that's not a thing. Because Tina dies before they find out who he is. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, Tina, Glenn, and Nancy are all having the same nightmare about the same person. They, so they, they don't do. They do start name. talking about him, mm-hmm. but they don't know his name. They don't even know his name. They don't have his. They don't know his name until she gets his hat because his hat, his name is written in the inside yeah, of his hat. Fred Krueger's in the hat. Although the first one is a revenge story because yeah. Fred targets those kids because their parents were part of the mob. Yeah, yeah. that burned him alive. But, I don't know, it's, just for me, like I said, this is the one that, once I started watching the Nightmare movies, these were the ones that I liked horror, and then I loved it. Mm-hmm. And Freddy was that gateway for me, that I just kind of, oh, because it can be more fun, it can be more playful. Yeah. Well, you still have a completely yeah. depraved killer. Yeah. yeah. I guess well, I was thinking about... When we talk about Fred, it's like because in in the original he was he was a child murderer, and it's like okay, define child. Are we talking about literally child? Or are we talking about just teenager? And then it's like okay, and then later films, 
especially with the reboot, it's also that he was a sex offender too. And it's like, okay, which one's worse? Obviously, in reality standpoint, which is worse? And it's like, at the same time, they're both bad. Well, the fact that he did both is what... Right. Yeah. And I would actually have that version in the reboot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes it... It makes... It takes the level up. Right. It takes the threat level up higher. Because mm-hmm. he's not just going to kill you. He's going to do mm-hmm. awful things and then kill you. That right. makes it worse. But I think that might also make it a harder sell. So if they went... I don't know. I mean, I'd need to see it. I need to see it. But the fact that they haven't even tried to cast anything yet. I think Freddy's becoming a bit of a sacred cow in the yeah. horror community. They keep, and they, let's keep it safe. They don't want to mess it up. No. But at some point, the rights holders are going to want to make money off of them. Yeah. They're, the studios are looking for it. Because they saw how iconic it was, and it still is. They saw how much money it made. And they want to get that. Unfortunately, especially with the way that the world is nowadays, how not really successful movies are doing right now, just also how bad Hollywood is doing right now. They're like, we need that jump start to kind of bring life to the theaters again. Well, either that or force ingenuity again. Right. Make it, give it to a hungry director that needs to prove himself. Give it that young cast of unknowns that the first one had. Just and then tell them they have a modest budget. Don't hamstring them like the first movie was forced to do because it need because help them make them be creative. Yeah. yeah, be like, okay, here's here's enough money to make a competent movie, but you're going to have to do things in yeah. inventive ways to make it look good. Yeah, don't just use CGI. That's my that's my worry about that kind of situation in modern days is that. CGI isn't as expensive as it once was. Right. That there, that someone's just gonna. Well, it's easier to do it in in post. So yeah. just do it in post. I'm like, you don't need to make a boiler room on a um on a lot, and you don't need to CGI it. Do what they did in the original. They literally went to a mental hospital, or no, they they went to a jail, mm. and we're like, let's use the the. The plumbing f- system in the basement. Go find a boiler room. Yeah. There are boiler rooms everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> there's one, and um, since we're in Maryland, there's like um, an old train station that looks like the exterior, the exterior of a boiler room in Ellicott City. It's like, that mm-hmm. looks like a place where Freddie would take some kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's old, condemned, windows are broken, it's probably full of asbestos, and it's like, mm, yup, asbestos. asbestos, yummy. <laughs> So it's like that looks like a place, or it also almost looks like a place where like my bloody Valentine would be filmed too. It just looks like almost like a mining area. Uh, we're I mean, not Canadian enough for that. Yeah, and we're not no. Canadian enough for that. Make when it comes back, we're either gonna love it or hate it. Yeah. I'm gonna watch it. It doesn't yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. I'll go see it because I kind of have to. Yeah, I I th- I think they are protecting it. I just hope that. If and when, it's going to happen eventually, if and when they decide to bring it back, they just put people on the team that know what they're doing. It's like, 
all right, this is the idea. We need people that are passionate about this and also have knowledge of it. Even bring people, even bring Sean Cunningham and be like, hey, I know that you helped, but you knew how Wes worked. You were one of Wes's closest friends and like partners. Well, I mean, help. The director of photography, Jacques, is still alive. Yeah. Bring him back. Mm hmm. Because he's a big part of how, especially the first movie, how it looks, how it feels. Because yeah. he, he was the guy. He yeah. was doing that. Yeah. So, as long as it's brought back respectfully, I'm, I'm game. But if we have another CW rehash like we had in 2010, screw it at some point. Just slam the coffin lid. Let Freddy be dead. Because mm. I, at this point, I would rather have, I'll watch the good the good entries from the original series when I get into the right frame of mind I'll watch Freddy vs. Jason uh, I'm, I own Nightmare 2010 because of course I do yeah I don't but I'm not going to watch it very often no in fact in the prep for this I got as far as putting it into my PS5 and then I never pushed play <laughs> because I didn't want to watch it. Well, speaking, I mean, kind of speaking of that, <laughs> I noticed just watching, um, like, AMC Fear Fest. It's not on Fear Fest anymore. But it was on Netflix because Robert England was in Stranger Things. And he was also working a lot with Netflix. So Nightmare, again, is being protected. They're not really showing it that much. So it's kind of like almost like a word-for-mouth kind of thing. Like, if you are a horror nerd, like, obviously you have it in your collection, but that new horror nerd or that new kind of, or just somebody who's more modern so hasn't watched the classics yet, they're going to be like, what's this? And it's probably going to be referred to them by a friend or something like that. Eventually, if you get down to it, it was like, okay, well, I want to watch more and more horror movies, you'll eventually come across Nightmare. Oh, yeah. yeah. No horror news for today. Right. Yeah. We went way long. Yes, but this was, it It was due, and we have to be respectful for this. For Wes, for all the people that put so much passion into this film in general, but also the franchise yep. as well, it was due for a long episode. And speaking as a giant Nightmare on Elm Street fan, this one's also for people like me that just love this franchise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so much meat on it. I mean, you could really do a thesis on this. I think people have. Oh, they probably have. <laughs> Most likely they have. But it, it's just, it's something where you can really just, just talk about it for a very, very long time. Yeah. Which we have. <laughs> okay. But what is your favorite of the Nightmare films? What is your favorite scene in the first Nightmare film. Put it in the comments. Yeah. This is Phil. This is Shelby. This is Zach. Stay spooky.